0: Pastor Tony said, I am Victoria Peters, and I have been gone for the last six-ish months (laughs) doing YWAM, uh, Youth with a Mission, and I just graduated from my DTS in February, February 29th, and yeah, there's another opportunity for another school, and that starts at the end of this month, and I have to raise $3,000 by then, so if you guys um, feel like the Lord is that onto your hearts like I would be more than grateful for that but um, yeah I have a lot more to share but uh, that's going to wait till next week because I also have some pictures and stuff I want to show you. So if you want to give you can do what we did last time there's a designated account that Mindy has set up and you can just write to Church Alive and then for on the envelope put Tori YWAM and it will go in there and we'll make sure that she gets this to uh, help her raise the funds for her next school and her next mission. Yes. Thank you very much. That's all for this week. All (laughs) right. My trip to Pakistan has been canceled and all the banning and and, uh, actually my visa was was, uh, refused. And so many of you I've talked to, but some of you have given, and if you would like that back, I am happy to do that. Um, We are headed in in, uh, the end of August to Peru, and then I'm headed back to Rwanda in November. And if you are okay with it just rolling over into those ministries, fine but I wanted to walk in integrity, and if you uh, have need for that, just let me know. I'm glad uh, to release that back to you. The title of it this morning is A Biblical Response in a Time of Crisis. So, Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You take the things of the Father and Jesus and make them known to us, and you're our teacher, you're our revelator, and you inspired the scripture in times when there was crisis. There was persecution, there was difficulty, and Lord, um, maybe what's going on uh, is a little bit man-made or orchestrated, maybe it's legitimately a natural crisis, but thank you that we have a way to respond, to honor you, uh, to walk in protection, and to be some people you would use to give your counsel in these days. So um, would you just release your supernatural peace and faith here this morning. And as we go from here, may we walk in faith and wisdom. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, this week has stimulated some pretty interesting conversations. Uh, I've heard people speak faith and wisdom. I've heard them speak panic and irrationality. And I've seen Christians who talk about a mighty God then run and hide. Been interesting. It's been all over the place. Um, I've had the opportunity to talk to some people about their faith and walk in the Lord. I'll give you an example. So I'm volunteering out at First Tea. There's a precious lady out there that uh, asked me to come out Friday. Um, it's going well with the Monday class. You want to know if I would volunteer every afternoon from 4 to 5? And the answer is no. So. <laughs> because I have a teaching style that uses pictures and things, and the kids are getting it, and they're really improving and have moved to different nights, so it's a little flattering. I just said, Lord, I wish it would help my own game. So, <laughs> Some of you that play, you know. Sometimes you can teach better than you play, and it's like, wow. But anyway, as we were talking Friday, she said, uh, what do you think about all this crisis? And it's just this open-ended question. And I said, well, um, can you narrow it down a little bit? What, uh, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts or concerns? And this is what she said. And so this is not a judgment statement. I'm just going to lead in because it it somewhat paints the picture of where a number of believers are walking at the moment. She said, well, I'm Episcopalian, and we do communion every Sunday, and we drink from a common cup. And she said, we drink, and they wipe it, and they turn, and we eat the wafer. And she said, uh, uh, I I don't know how I feel about doing that. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. What concerns you? And she shared uh, obvious answers. I said, but let me ask you a doctrinal question. This is where I get in trouble sometimes. Because sometimes I meddle. But I asked her, I said, now, doesn't your church believe that that literally becomes the blood of Christ and the body of Christ? And that when you take that wafer, it's not only a part of renewing your salvation, but it's a part of his healing for you. How many of you knew that that's part of the belief system there? And so I asked her, I said, so do you believe in the healing of Jesus? And we had quite a discussion. And she said, well, uh, uh, uh," she's been there over 60 years. And she said, "I I guess I've never had to really apply that to my own life. And so I'm not here to ping on her. She's become a dear friend. And what I'm learning is that I pastor more people than walk through these doors because of the ministry opportunities that come. It's okay. I think it's part of what we want, right? Would you shake your head and agree with that? We're looking for opportunities as we represent Jesus uh, to the people in our lives. And so I had an opportunity to really talk to her about her faith and whether or not she really believed. And that's part of what I want to talk to you about this morning. I don't think we get reckless and arrogant. Um, But I think that we really do walk in the faith of who Jesus is and what the scripture says. We walk in a little wisdom. I had a couple people call and say, you know, I'm coughing and I'm sneezing, and I don't have the coronavirus. They don't have a lot of the other symptoms. But common sense would tell me not to come and share with everyone. How many of you know I said thank you? One person said to me, well, you know, medically, they teach us to pull the front of our shirt out and sneeze down the front of our shirt. And I said, that's nice. I just don't know how that goes in a church setting. Okay. <laughs> y- you got to laugh. Okay. Don't, don't, don't get too pretty serious. Okay. So in the process of talking with people um, this morning, I just began to say, Lord, wh- what should I do? How should I respond? How should we respond right now? I want to read to you a couple of verses that lay the foundation in the backdrop. Because do you understand this is not the first time that a crisis has hit the earth? Do you understand that this is not really from the Lord, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but it does reveal our hearts and, if you will, our preparedness and the response or the irrational response of a lot of people, even Christians. Because our tendency, and I love this, I was talking with a lady who called and she was concerned, And she said, you know, when it comes to end times and the things we deal with, she said, we're not pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. She said, we're of the ostrich variety. She said, we just buried our head in the sand growing up and never dealt with it. And can I tell you that's where a lot of people are in our culture right now. I don't want to deal with this. I want just business as usual, and I want, gang, the world is winding Difficult days are coming, the scripture says, and this is a precursor for us to see kind of how we're doing, how we're doing. So what I want to just do out of Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16, um, share with you a verse, that mission I've shared with at least a dozen people throughout this week, and it's our confession, and I want to challenge you to make it your confession. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance, the Lord be with you all. This is Paul speaking by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14 and 27, and I want to read that to you. If you want to follow along with your electronic device or your uh, literal paper, paper Bible, you can do that. Um, if not, you have it on the sheet, and that's why I'm up early this morning and I put this all together. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful or afraid. Someone was sharing with me this morning, and I, I have not done this, that there are at least 70 fear knots in the Bible. Another person said that it was closer to over 300, almost a fear knot for every day. Almost every time that you see fear not, it's in the imperative voice with the you understood you, fear not. So Jesus is telling us um, not to be afraid of the circumstances in the life um, that we're living. So the world is in crisis before the coronavirus. We sometimes live this sheltered life in the U.S. Some of us have traveled outside of the country for business or ministry, some of you perhaps get online, but there are something like 80 different nations right now that have political battles and wars going on in them, over 80. That's about one quarter of the nations of the earth. There is rampant disease. There's all kinds of terrorism. There are all sorts of things, and I'm thankful to live in the United States of America, but we've been a little bit insulated and isolated when the fact is crisis has been going on in the earth, for the last several decades and it's growing larger there are an uh, increasing number of earthquakes there are an increasing number of volcanic eruptions and so on because the scripture says the earth is groaning because the day is coming for the anxious revealing of the sons the people that are truly gods that belong to him so the world's in a crisis and um, sometimes people are like why are we in a crisis i mean god's angry and he's judging us let let me just speak to that a minute i want you to find your way to second timothy three but i want to i want to speak to this a minute jesus christ became our judgment and until this time of grace is finished we're not under judgment But let me just tell you something when the judgment of the Lord is released and you can go to Revelation chapter six as the seals are being broken and the judgment of God is being released. It isn't about wondering if 10 percent of the world is going to get coronavirus. There's a time when the Lord releases judgment because of rebellion to him and resistance to his word and his ways and the destruction that people are causing in a matter of a day. It would seem a quarter of the earth dies. Wow, some of you are staring at me like, okay, <gasps> so it's not that judgment isn't coming, but we're not under judgment right now. Let me tell you what I think happened in this particular circumstance, and i got to be careful because I've been to China about eight times, and I've got missionary friends and people there that are hidden and all sorts of things. They believe this virus was not something that jumped from an animal to people. They believe it was spiritual or chemical warfare, that it was humanly weaponized because of some of the things it has in it, HIV traces and all sorts of things. Okay, so I believe some wicked people made something that shouldn't have been made and accidentally or on purpose it got released and it has some consequences. How many of you understand that when wicked lost people make bad decisions – that sometimes the things that happen are just the consequences of their lack of character and their bad choices and actions. But see, the tendency is to put God's name on that. God did this. okay. And what I'm telling you is the Lord made it clear to not only Lisa and me, but many other people, that this was not the doing of the Lord. Now, let's just talk about who the Lord is a minute. Do you believe God is sovereign? Do you believe he knows all? Do you believe he's all-powerful? They believe he rules over all. So you have to understand he's allowed this. He has. Okay? He's allowed this because of the wickedness of people. That's what sovereignty is. But for his people, they don't have to let it come near their door or, or afflict them, and they don't have to walk in fear. Okay? And I realize some of you may not have that picture of sovereignty, but I can take you to the Scripture and show it to you over and over and over. Okay? And it causes people to get confused. Here's the deal. A line's been drawn. For those that know and walk with the Lord, there is a protection and a faith. But for those that don't know and they make terrible choices and, con- and decisions, there are consequences for sin. And right now, God is merciful. That's where we are. He is merciful. But a day will come when the Lord says, All that are going to be saved have been brought in. And it's time to break the seal. Okay. Now, here's the difficulty in many of the churches. And I know I'm just I'm not even treading on thin ice. I, I'm treading in places that sometimes angels dare to tread. I do not believe in the pre tribulation rapture. I know some of you do. I can take you to a scripture in a minute, and I'll show you why I don't. I believe that was a fabrication. It was not taught in the first three centuries of the church. It's clear that there was a different point of view, and it it showed up in the late 1830s and came. And for some people, they're like, God loves us, and he's so merciful that we'd never be under wrath. We're not. The wrath isn't released till the bulls. And even if we're here when there's some judgment, we are marked So that these things are not to bother us. But we may be here for a time to be the witnesses and the answers. That's why we can't walk in fear. We have to learn to walk in faith and courage. And by the way, if you stand up for your faith and you're killed, what happens instantly? Somebody help me. What happens in a a second? It says to be absent from the body is to be instantly, right? Right? And is there a reward for people who are martyred for the faith? There's a crown, special honor. We, and I say we, have been so used to being comfortable in the United States that the thought of any kind of pressure or persecution or anything sort of alarms us. But I'm going to tell you it's where about 90% of the Christians of the world live. And... I had a man in Africa a number of years ago. He was an apostolic leader, an African man. Come to me and he said, Pastor, he said, thank you for coming. He said, I really want to honor you. I've fought this for two days. But he said, I've got to release this word of the Lord. The Lord says to you, toughen up, brother, toughen up. I can't say that exactly felt good. But the word of the Lord was, toughen up. Okay? So, I'm going to take you to 2 Thessalonians 2. And then I'll talk to you some more about the crisis we're in and perhaps some of the reasons that things are happening. So in 1 Thessalonians 4, it talks about the harpazo, the catching up. The word rapture doesn't show up until the 4th century Latin Vulgate. We get the word rapture from 4th century translation of the scripture. But the word is harpazo, and it means to be caught up. And he's talking about how a trumpet will sound and the Lord will come, and we'll be caught up. But the Scripture says it's the last trumpet, not an arbitrary trumpet, not this secret rapture. And I've seen the films and the pictures of cars crashing because people disappear and cr- cranes fl- fall, uh, um, fly into buildings. And so they were so worried that they, were, the Christians in Second Thessalonians chapter two, said to Paul some have come and said that they're the Christ and we've missed it and that the Lord's come and we're not out of here and Paul spoke something very clearly to them and you need to look at it because it has to fit your theology okay chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians now we request you brethren that with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him now in Thessalonica is Paul speaking to just Jews come on help me Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to Gentiles as well as Jews. Because some have said, well, he's just telling the Jews that you're not going to go in the original rapture, but you're going to wake up and understand that you'll be saved in a day, and then you're out of here. He's not just speaking to Jewish believers. He's speaking to the Gentiles. Okay, so you understand why that satisfies an argument of we're out of here and they're not. He's speaking to both. Here's what he says about the parousia the coming of the Lord the parade of events his coming has several things that happen and our gathering to him that's the harpazo or that catching up he says in verse 2 that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come see they were concerned they missed the rapture if I can put it in those terms he says in verse 3 let no one in any way deceive you For it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the word apostasy has to do with the great falling away, where people fall away from the faith or they pick and choose truth. Or where they only believe what they want to believe and they live lives that are lawless and, and immoral and all sorts of things, but they say they know the Lord. Unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That's called the abomination of desolation. And if you go to Matthew 24, it doesn't happen until three and a half years into the tribulation. Okay. So the secret rapture teaches that that happens before Jacob's sorrows. It's not really called the tribulation in Bible, but we'll call it the the first part of the tribulation but what happens is the temple is rebuilt the jews are beginning to worship and sacrifice they still lack the knowledge of who their messiah is and the antichrist who has favored them and given them a sense of false peace comes in and says no I'm God he goes in he sacrifices this is just out of Josephus and some of the previous history books a swine on the altar Sets himself up as the ruler and takes the throne in the temple of God. It happens three and a half years into the seven year tribulation. What did Paul just say to those believers? You're not out of here until after that. Now, why would that be a wake up call to the church? Because where a lot of people are is I don't have to bear not to worry about this, because baby beam me up, Scotty, I'm out of here. Can you see if that's not true? We better rethink some things a little bit. Now you really are staring at me. And that's okay. Because see, my job, I love you dearly, but my job is to speak the truth of the Scripture as best it's presented. And then we got to do some thinking. And then all of a sudden, the church says, Huh. I thought I was into escapism, and it didn't matter because I was out of here. You mean I might be here for the first three or four years or whatever? The final trumpet is the telescoping trumpets, the trumpet judgments, and it's in Revelation 11. I don't have time to go there this morning. we got to finish. We may not be done in 30 minutes this morning, but it's okay because you need to really begin to work through it. It says, when the last trumpet is sounded, because 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that the last trumpet, it says that the kingdoms of this world are become, it's in the present tense, the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, and he who was and is has begun to reign. It doesn't say evermore it, it shall be yours coming, because he's come. And it's Revelation 11, 15. He's here. That's the touchdown. That's the parousia when he comes and then later in that chapter the heavens open and the ark of the covenant begins to come down because that copy they had is the literal throne the mercy seat Jesus will sit on and rule for a thousand years from the temple in Jerusalem okay it's all there so with that backdrop and it's okay I'm open for discussion um And through the years, for about 20 years, I've been studying the Olivet Discourse in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the Book of Revelation, and Daniel, and other places, Zechariah. And uh, I'm learning, but I'm just sharing what I see. I don't believe this virus is the Lord's doing. I believe it's the doing of wicked people. I believe it's been released. And here's some possible scenarios. I don't tend to be a conspiracist. But it's been interesting, um uh, Tony Perkins on Washington watch um Ben Carson, how many of you know who Ben Carson is, the head of Housing and, and Urban Development, that was the brain doctor, brilliant, separated those conjoined twins in the brain, and they lived in their normal, godly man, and I heard him interview him, and he said, "I don't think it's time for panic, I think it's time for wisdom, and he was just talking about practical things we can do. But I loved it, he said, but the bottom line is, we must trust the Lord. I thought, thank you, Ben, thank you. Okay, Michael Moore, who is a very liberal film producer that has made several films that really tear down Christianity and come against any conservative leaders. How many of you have ever heard of Michael Moore? Okay, he is recorded in 2018, and I've heard it twice in the last two weeks where they brought on the recording, that they didn't know what to do because President Trump was rallying our nation and the conservatives and building up our economy. Listen, I don't agree with everything he does, but we're commanded to pray for him. He's kept a lot of promises. He's taken a stand for life and freedom of religion, if you will, and a number of things. But this is what Michael Moore said in late 2018. He said, the only way we will defeat him is to somehow cause the economy to fail and blame it on him. You just think about that, George Soros. How many of you have ever heard of him? He is a antichrist kind of individual from Europe, very wealthy, and he was quoted. And again, I heard it twice in this last week, where he said, "The election of President Trump has set back our one-world agenda of twenty-five years." See, there's some things going on behind the scenes that we just need to say, Lord, is this possibly what's going on? So the back of the dollar bill in 1936 was changed by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and it used to just have the gold standard on it, but he was a 33-degree mason, Okay, and so was the vice president at that time, and they changed the back of the dollar bill to have Masonic symbols. There's an unfinished pyramid, which represents the wisdom not of God, but of all these other syncretistic religions, there's the all-seeing eye of Isis. And at the bottom of that seal, it says, do you know what it says? Novus Ordo Secularum. It's Latin, which translates one world order. It's been the agenda for a long time. Kay? It's the Antichrist agenda so I think all I'm trying to say is let's don't go to sleep let's be fully awake and understand what we're dealing with now with that being said we're not called to walk in fear you can read Matthew 24 you can read Revelation 6 um, and the verses that are following in the chapters but here's our response and I needed to get to this individually and together Hebrews chapter 10 24 and 25 so I'm going to just turn there i'm going to back up to verse 23 it's that imperative voice again let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more when as you see the day drawing near as these difficult times come it isn't about dispersing and not getting together because of fear or worry or whatever. He said, all the more gather together and encourage one another, build each other's faith up, hang on to one another. Kay? Yesterday I was trying to hang on to a man that was gone for a few days and he had two major, major real estate deals. And uh, one of them was from a very wealthy man of a company you would know about moving from Germany. And obviously the ban is on, and so that deal fell through, and it's been put on hold. And another one had to do with a man that owned a large construction business in many states. And because some of those things this week uh, were cut in half as far as orders and profitability, that deal, deal fell through. And so what we agreed on and we prayed together is that we would welcome the Lord into that situation and trust the Lord. I want to just ask you, what other option do we have? And that's not a, oh, well, I might as well trust God. No, we're trusting the Lord. Here's what I could see the Lord do. I could see this thing passing, and I believe it will in these next few weeks. I could see because he's faithfully served them and hung in with them, and he called banks, and he called realtors. And they agreed that they would put it on hold until this was over instead of killing the deal. I could see this go through with blessing. And because he stood firm, other people hear that testimony and come and use his services. Faithfulness gets rewarded. Our response individually and together. We believe God's word. We walk in peace. And we speak faith. So here's some of the responses. Ac- I mean, Psalm 91. Even though this is Old Testament, the confession here works because it has the New Testament fulfillment in Christ. I don't have time to walk through all of this, but I want to just give you a couple of pictures and read you a portion of this. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The imagery of that is some of the richest in the whole Bible. Here's what's going on. When they came into the Holy of Holies, the high priest, once a year, where the tabernacle was, they would come in, the lights were in there, uh, the cherubim stretched over the mercy seat, the lid of the um, Ark of the Covenant had the Ten Commandments, the jar of manna, which represents the bread of life. It had the rod of Aaron that had budded the authority of the Lord. They would drop six drops in front, the number of man, because we have to stand in the blood of, of Jesus or the Lord or we will perish Only one drop on the mercy seat, because what Jesus did once was once for all. Only once a year could the high priest go in there. But during the reign of David, he brought the Ark of the Covenant that had been lost back to Israel. They built a tent. It's in 2 Samuel 6, and it's in 1 Chronicles 14, 15, and 16. It's called the Tabernacle of David. When he brought the tabernacle back into Jerusalem, He didn't take it up to the Plains of Gibeon and put it in the tabernacle Moses received in the wilderness. God gave him permission to put it out in the open for 33 years under this tent, this awning. And he built a platform on the east end and and the ark was put there because as the sun came up in the morning, it would shine on the ark and the angels' wings would cast a shadow. And David, if he was home, would come and he would prostrate himself in the very shadow of the wings of the Ark of the Covenant and would worship and pray and receive instruction from the Lord. Deuteronomy says that the Lord dwelt in the air above the seat, the mercy seat between the wings of the cherubim. What he's talking about here is this, that in Christ Jesus we have been granted this place That is intimately with the Lord. He is in you. Christ is in you. You are in him. You are like this because your relationship has been reconciled. And he's saying to you, if you want to walk in faith and not fear, you want to walk in peace instead of anxiety, you want to walk in comfort and give answers to people, it, it comes out of your close walk with the Lord. This is not a time to quit praying. Worry is not a form of prayer. It's not a time to quit reading the word. Read it more. Believe the Lord. Get it in there. That's what the Holy Spirit will use. But what this psalmist is talking about is we have the shadow of the Almighty. It's the place of intimacy and protection. Now, here's what's cool. The ark sat out in the open for 33 years. And the priests and people minister to the Lord with worship and praise and stuff 24 hours a day for 33 years. But the people could come and make up the walls and they could look upon the ark and they could enjoy the presence of the Lord. Because it was prophetic of what was coming and fulfilled in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. So let me ask you, are you holy? We're made holy because of Christ. Are you righteous? You are the righteousness of God in him. Can you draw near to the throne of grace to receive grace, to help and mercy in your time of need? Will he ever leave you or forsake you? Can you enjoy the intimacy of this relationship? The only thing that will separate you is doubt and unbelief. Not that he leaves, but you pull back and you lose your confidence. This is a time to walk closer to the Lord than you perhaps have ever done before. And going forward, that's our walk. Let's skip down to seven. A thousand may fall at your side, and he's talking about pestilence and arrows and terrors and destruction. He's talking about the kind of things going on in the world. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes to see the recompense of the wicked, for you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, my dwelling place. No evil will befall me or you nor will any plague come near your tent. The whole psalm is just powerful. This is the question that Misha and I have wrestled with in these last two and a half weeks that I'm asking you to do the same. Do you believe God and his word or not? I mean, isn't that what this boils down to? It's easy to have faith when things seem to rock along or you just hit a speed bump instead of driving into a hole because the bridge washed out. <laughs> he's, he's still the same, folks. And we have to come to that. Luke ten seventeen through 20 is simply this. Jesus stayed back and he's praying. He sends the 70 out. And there's a, a verse in Luke ten 18. I'm just doing this for time's sake. And the verse says this. I have given you authority. The word is exousia or exousia. It means I've given you the right to rule over all the dunamis, all the power and the works of the enemy. So you have authority over the works of the enemy. And you shall tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the works of the evil one. The serpents and scorpions are not snakes and bugs. They're demons. And you have authority. You do in Jesus. Because the 12 had it, the 70 have it. We have shared authority with Jesus. We have this. And so... He goes on to say this at the end of that verse, and nothing shall harm you. Okay. 1 John 5 says that we have authority over the enemy and nothing shall touch us. Romans 16, 20, and the God of peace shall soon crush Satan under our feet. So if this is an attack of the enemy, we stand, we pray, we believe, we trust, and do the wise thing. Because we live in a fallen world, even those that of us that are walking in faith, once in a while, and I want to listen to how I say this, and I'm doing this on purpose. Once in a while, we have some kind of sickness that attacks us, and we are fighting it off. Notice what I didn't say. I receive some sickness, and I just uh, receive it and accept it, and I work through it. I do not accept sickness. You understand why I used the language that I did? I'm not in denial, but the scripture says by his stripes. 1 Peter 2, 23, I have been healed. Now, he may use the healing of medicine and physicians. He may use the wisdom of rest or some of the natural things. He heals supernaturally or in a process or by casting out demons. There are five ways in the New Testament that he heals. But if you really think sickness is a blessing from God, why do you go to the doctor? Just accept it. Please, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm trying to get us to think biblically. Amen. That's all I'm trying to get us to do. Now, I'm grateful for doctors and nurses, and we've got, So, I'm married to one. But she is working with people, praying with them, trying to get them well or to trust the Lord, and not just saying, oh, well. She works for a hospice company, ministering Jesus to those people. So I think it's our attitude, how we deal with some things that really matters. Okay. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17 simply says this. And this is worth just reading to you. These are verses you can take home and ponder. Okay. So part of what's happening here is, and we'll go back to God's sovereignty. He is sovereign and he rules over all. And he has given us a measure of this authority to rule in his behalf. So let me ask you another question. Do you believe when you pray according to the will of God, are there two or three or five or ten of you and you're praying in agreement according to the will of God, do you believe that makes any difference? If you do, then you realize if this is not of the Lord and we get his strategy, we can bind, we can loose, we can render ineffective. We can pull it down. We can crush it. you understand what I'm talking about? See, prayer is not just some religious activity of, oh God, help us If you, if you want to. What's going to happen in these days that come, and it has nothing to do with being conservative or charismatic or traditional, is that God's going to raise up a people that believe he's who he is and believe his word and accept it and live by it. And the name over the door is not going to mean a thing. It's about our walk with Jesus, because he's sovereign, and part of that sovereignty has been given to us to walk in his authority. So let me just tell you something. We are postured to be a tremendous blessing to people. That's why you're praying for people this morning. You want to bless them, protect them. We were called for this purpose that we might inherit a, and he blesses us so that we might be, okay, are you seeing Because when God gave me those things six weeks ago to teach, I thought, Lord, I know where we're at. And as I began to study and release that to you, I thought, I get it. Because as difficult times come, there's this reservoir of blessing in us. And we can believe you and be a blessing. We can speak peace to people who are afraid. We can speak faith to people who who are just in panic. Some will listen. Some will not. But the fact is, we have it to give. Amen. We do. Okay. So, 2 Corinthians. I mean 2, excuse me, 14 through 17. Listen to what's here. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Still the same fragrance. The saved and the lost. To the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God. And there are some talking really big, and they're doing all this stuff. But when the crisis comes, they're closing down. We're not peddling the word. We are just proclaiming the truth and living the truth. I have good news for you. It's free. Now, sometimes walking it out is costly to our flesh. But the truth is free. And it's intended to make you and set you free, no matter what comes. All right. We do it from sincerity as from God. We speak in Christ the sight of God. So let me just play the other side of this for just a minute. Let's suppose that this was God's judgment, and I don't believe that. But let's suppose that this was a judgment released in the earth. In the Scripture, Old and New Testament, when crisis came and judgment came, what did the intercessors and the prophets of God do? they prayed they they stood in the gap i gave you a verse in ezekiel 22 they didn't stand back and say ah you're just so wicked and you're just so you're just going to hell you didn't see that they warned people and they got on their face and they cried and there were times when moses or or david or whoever or the priest whatever would run out with the censor again on their face and because they appealed to god it stopped things And if we really care about people and what's going on, we will get on our face and we'll pray. That's why I ask you if you really believed in prayer. See, it's time for the church to step up and be who she really is. We have authority in Christ. We are difference makers, not to our own ego, to his glory. We're an extension and an ambassador of who he is. And so when these people are putting out these words of judgment, which I don't quite see in the scripture, trust me, when judgment comes, it'll be obvious. Can I just say that? When it comes, it'll be obvious. People just start dying. But until then, our posture is stand in the gap. So the word intercess means this. It means to be a go-between. So I want to suggest to you that we stand between God and people, and we stand between people and the enemy. We do both of those. That's what an intercessor does. They take the things that are already given that have been released and they grab hold of them and bring them to the earth with prayer and what we speak and how we live and so on. But we have this authority at God's direction to get between people and the enemy and say, no further. Yes, you have that authority. You do. So let me just tell you. Walking with the Lord... From this day forward, will no longer be passive. It's active. I mean, it's been that way for a while. But you have to, in a sense, draw that line and say, I'm not going to shrink back and be passive. I'm going to learn to walk in the real things of the Lord and be active. Now, can I just ask you, when you step out and you begin to be active and you begin to believe the Lord and you begin to take on the enemy, what do you expect to happen? I expect two things to happen. Some of you, the older that have done this, you're laughing. What's going to happen when you take those kind of steps? Come on, help me. He is, but what does the Word of God say? Right, and we always triumph in his name, and we tread him underfoot. doesn't mean we're not in the battle. doesn't mean there isn't some active engagement. We win, whether by death or by life. We win. So we don't have to come from this position of fear and down under. I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and coming from that position of fellowship and authority from the throne of God. That's how I'm living and that's how I'm speaking. That isn't arrogance. It's the grace of God. So this idea when you step in, somebody give me the definition of conflict. I've probably shared it with you ten times. What is conflict? What is conflict? All right, say it louder, that's it. Two entities trying to share the same place at the same time. Okay, so I want to ask you, is there any conflict going on in the world? Because it's the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. But who has already won the day? And so what we're doing is we're simply pushing the enemy back we're treading him down we're overcoming and when the battle gets really fierce i love this what i did this week when the lord began to speak to me i started in revelation chapter four and i read about jesus again and the throne and the seals and the trumpets and the silence in heaven of who can stand and the coming of the lord and the seals and i mean and the, and the bowls of wrath and so on But I love this, when Jesus comes back on his white horse and we are clothed in white and come with him, and the kings of the earth, like 200 million, are gathered in this place and we don't have any weapons because Jesus, the Son of God, the risen Lord and Savior, the warrior king, comes back and he has a two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth and he slays all of the wicked that come against the Lord. And I was reading something and I just started laughing. I started laughing almost uncontrollably because this is what this man said. He said, do you think he's going to get in a verbal battle with all of these people? He's going to stand up in front of 200 million wicked people that have resisted him and everything he stands for and say to them, drop dead. And they will. And that's why I started laughing. I thought, wow, you're my Lord. You're who I belong. we're wrestling with fear and you're going to come when the time's right and say drop dead I don't know about you but that gave me some real peace I'm not saying the battle's not over but we win we're going to come back and see him put an end to all this and for a thousand years reign with him and then we sing today the heavens and the, the bride and the new Jerusalem comes down and we're going to ever be with the Lord. That's our future, and that's our hope. So then, what I'm looking for are opportunities to share my faith in Christ. That's the last point I gave you. just looking for opportunities. People are talking. They're afraid. They've been so resistive and blown us off, but all of a sudden, their chain's getting pulled and their life's getting shaken, and I'm finding more people that want to talk. Can I just appeal to you? Tell him your story about how you came to Jesus. And then share the gospel. Just tell them. Speak the truth to them. Bring him in. But let's talk about our response and then I'm done. You're resting him personally and we do it together. He's sovereign and knows what he's doing. And often he's allowed some things because he's asking us to step up. He's done it, but we're part of his answer. And the church is just kind of, am I that or am I not? Do I have it or do I not? You have him, and you have it. He's saying walk in it. Prepare spiritually, which is what we're talking about. Prepare emotionally and mentally. How many of you have an idea what I'm talking about? There's a little shock in this because life may not be business as usual. And we have to prepare ourselves a little bit mentally and emotionally. Some of you that have young children, you're like, how do we get through this? Can I just tell you God loves you and God loves young children? And he'll show you the plan. Okay. Then you prepare practically because we have a security in life. And so I don't have a lot of time to do this, but Sudan and... and, uh, john and perhaps david and lisa will share some next week we're going to have service and we'll pray and, and encourage with the word and then at noon if you want to bring a little lunch or go we'll grab something and come back we eat in fellowship and probably from 12:30 to 2 not as long as normal she's going to just share some basics about preparing um mm-hmm. just practically because there's wisdom i went to the store and And I was watching people fill up two grocery carts full of water. Right now, water is not an issue. I'm just saying to you, but what happens is people panic and they don't think rationally. And frankly, you can boil water if you have a little concern and put just a little something in it. And it's fine to wash and drink and cook with. I had to go to the store. Mission. and I do these power shakes and things, and we're out of milk and bananas and things that were in it, and we do them in the morning, and we exercise and stuff. And this guy has two carts, and one of them is absolutely full of frozen pizzas and toilet paper. And the other one, <laughs> I'm just, okay, I'm not making fun, but you've got to see what's going on here. And the other one is just um, full of water and uh, dry cereal. I'm thinking, wow. Hope you got milk. You know, <laughs> just uh, please. I'm not. I, I'm just saying, hey, just just kind of see what's going on. And so, there's wisdom in preparing. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. First, make it your goal to prepare for two weeks, and then a month. Just practically, we were talking before David and John and I where this man had gone out, and he had bought um, just a crate full of Spam, and Spam would be a good thing, and he had uh, 50 pounds of rice, and he had 50 pounds of beans or something. Now, I want to that all sounds good, but if you don't have spices and some vegetables that you can get in cans and do some other things, how are you going to do eating rice and beans and Spam for 30 days? N- n- now, you can survive, but here's my point. Actually, there's some practical wisdom from experienced people and some common sense things that you can prepare and eat and enjoy it, even in a crisis. And actually have an abundance. And we're careful to talk about what we have because there's been this cavalier attitude sometimes even in the church. Well, God's going to take care of us. And besides, if, if, if uh, things get tough, I'm coming to see you. Oh, so you want me to prepare for your lack of preparation. I don't say that to be mean-spirited. But what I'm trying to do with my responsibility is raise up a body of 100 people who are prepared and responsible so that we are not, in a sense, robbing one another, but we're available to help the lost and the people that need. We are strong with something to share. Thank you. Some of you really understand. And I like Spam and beans and rice, but I don't want to eat it twice a day for 30 days. I'm just trying to help you see the practical wisdom of preparing. Okay. And then, once you prepare for two weeks, try to get prepared for four. And then, as the Holy Spirit leads beyond that, but if you were in Europe, and that's just what I wanted to point out, if you were in Europe and everything was shut down for 30 days, and the stores are closed, and they they don't have anything, and if you go on and look at the feeds, these places that had hundreds of thousands of people, the streets are empty. How many of you have kind of looked at some of that? Okay. My point is, if they weren't prepared, they're in a hurt right now. But if you were really prepared with an abundance, you would probably have great opportunity to minister to some people. You see where I'm going with this? And that's what God's asking us to do. Okay. We just bless you, Jesus. We thank you that you are our peace and that you have released supernatural peace. And uh, help us now hear you, stay close to you, walk in faith, and uh, really be an oracle for you to people who are afraid and searching. And Lord, you have blessed us. Now make us a great blessing to many people. In the name of Jesus.